So we are continuing this series where we're looking at the book of Daniel, and my hope is that we're learning a little bit about Daniel, his faith that helped him stay strong and rock solid in his faith. Um, we are the third week in that, so if you are new and, and, and you want to catch up a little bit, I would encourage you to go to our website, uh, and you're able to listen to the previous messages. Anytime we do a sermon series, especially on the book of the Bible, it would really be important for you to go back and listen because kind of they all build upon each other, and we have been learning little bits and pieces about Daniel along the way. So I invite you to go and 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 listen to those other messages if you if you were not able to be here the first couple of weeks. Uh, doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything today. It's just simply it will help build upon your faith um, if you will go back and listen to those. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, I will tell you we're going to start in Daniel chapter five. We're not going to look at it now, but I'm going to catch you up. But if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 5. You'll be there when we get there. Um, So I want us to just kind of remind ourselves where we are. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon when Daniel and his three friends were growing up as young young people in, in Israel, and Nebuchadnezzar was going to destroy the people of Israel. And if you're, if you've been here, you know that his military strategy might be different than what our military military strategy would be, or what a lot of people's military strategy, rather than going in and just wiping everybody out, he said he was going to go in and kidnap 10,000 of the best and the brightest young men. He was going to bring them back. He was going to teach them the Babylonian way. So he's going to let them study Babylonian culture, Babylonian literature, Babylonian astrology, in the hopes that would dilute their faith in the one true God. So he would dilute their Jewishness so that they would lose their identity. And that was the reason he changed their names that the scripture tells us. Part of that was so that he could strip away the things that were, that were their identity. Um, so we stop and we go, okay, so how would Daniel be relevant to today? Well, what we see in Daniel is a person who was able to maintain their faith in a world that was increasingly unbelieving. Anybody know anyone like that? In a world where we are living, where it's becoming increasingly unbelieving, how do we stay true to our faith? And so we can learn a lot from Daniel. But here's the thing. Somebody asked me this morning, they walked in and said, what are we going to learn from Daniel today? Be careful, because sometimes you can also learn from the other people. And so it's like all the things. Always when you read the Bible, here's a great tip. When you read the Bible, always ask yourself what wasn't written or what were the other characters doing? Because you can learn a lot about the principal story or a different interpretation if you look at it that way. For instance, you think about Peter walking on water. We preach that all the time, and you'll hear me preach it. But we talk about Peter. You know, he was bold. He got out of the boat. He walked on water until he lost his faith. He didn't stay focused on Jesus, and Jesus grabbed him and, and, and saved him. And all of those stories are different pieces of the puzzle. But then you stop and go, why didn't the other disciples get out of the boat? Because who would you have been? Would you have been the disciple that got out of the boat, or would you have been probably one of the disciples that stayed in the boat, didn't have the faith to get out of the boat, didn't take the risk? So many times, ask yourself why the other people are doing what they're doing. And so today we're going to learn about Daniel's rock-solid faith, but we're going to learn it from a different character. We're going to learn it from the person of Belshazzar. Now, Daniel chapter 5, Daniel and his friends, they're, they're, they're older Okay, so we, the first parts of, of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are young. Uh, 
uh, teenager uh, type. When we get to Daniel chapter 5, a lot of time has passed, and they are probably around 80. So in this part of the story, Daniel is 80. So that video that we looked at in Daniel is this older man. That's where we find him at this point in time uh, in the story. Nebuchadnezzar, he's dead. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has died, and there's been a series of kings that have been short-lived over the period of time. And now Belshazzar is the king of Babylon. And he is hosting this great banquet that we see in this story. And in essence, really what is taking place is just a huge party. Um, Belshazzar is throwing this tremendous party. Um, a lot of inappropriate things are taking place in the, in the palace of Babylon. But outside the palace, and you have to know this is part of the story, outside the palace, the Medo-Persian Empire is developing the Medo-Persian Empire is going to be the next great empire that's going to take over Babylon. And all of the known, most of the known world at this point in time, they have been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. But the Medes and the Persians have come together. They cannot seem to penetrate Babylon. They've tried, but they can't penetrate it. And, they, and, and uh, Belshazzar should give credit to Nebuchadnezzar for that. Um, again, knowing part of the story, they're sitting in Babylon, the walls of Babylon. I want y'all to picture this. The walls of Babylon are 87 feet thick. So I measured it this morning. It's about from here through those doors all the way to the front doors thick, 87 feet thick, 350 feet tall. And then surrounding, periodically surrounding those 350 feet walls are watchtowers that are 25 stories tall. Pretty massive, if you will. And flowing through the city is the Euphrates River. Belshazzar is not worried about the Medes and the Persians. He is living in the greatest city with the greatest walls and the greatest military. He's like, I don't care. I am Babylon. That's his mentality. What does he have to fear? He has nothing to fear from the Medes and the Persians. So let's listen to his story starting in verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine... He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and rode on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, 
He was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So we get reintroduced to Daniel We have to realize that after King Nebuchadnezzar died, Daniel kind of drifted off into obscurity. I mean, it's possible that this is his first time back into the palace after Nebuchadnezzar died. And he calls him back. And Belshazzar is so freaked out about the writing on the wall that he's making all kinds of promises to Daniel. I'm going to make you the third highest ruler. I'm going to give you gold chains. I'm going to drape you in purple robes. I'm going to do all of these things to make you great and to give you glory. But let's watch Daniel's response as we read, starting in verse 17. It says, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you gave yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who sent, the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. We can learn from Belshazzar. We, we think about Daniel as rock-solid faith. What did we see Daniel for the last two weeks? What have we seen Daniel continue to be over and over again? He's maintained his humble spirit. He's maintained his humility. In Belshazzar, we see the exact opposite. Pride and arrogance. Let me tell you, if you're a note-taker, you might want to write this down. Pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 16 says those exact words. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit 
before a fall. It's a biblical truth. Belshazzar was full of pride. Everything started with Belshazzar and ended with Belshazzar. He was the center of his life. Let me tell you something. There is a difference between being proud and being prideful. I told you my story with Latham. I am proud of Latham, but I am not prideful because I know that is God working in Latham's life. The difference is when I think that my child is better than your child. That's prideful. We need to guard ourselves against being prideful. First Peter says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a spiritual truth, a biblically based truth. We see Daniel as somebody who maintains a spirit of humility. In Belshazzar, we see someone who rises to pride and arrogance. Let me tell you something. If you're building yourself up, you will come down. It's a biblical truth. James, one of the practical books in the Bible. James gives us this advice in James 4.10. Look at what it says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Don't act like you are the center of the solar system. Don't act like your children or your grandchildren are the center of the solar system. Because if we teach our children or our grandchildren that they are the center of the solar system, at some point in time, it will crash in. Maintain a spirit of humility. See, what Daniel is saying is the prophet Isaiah had foretold of this. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 13. He warned that this was what was going to happen. And Daniel was telling Belshazzar, you, you, you knew this. You knew that this was going to happen. I mean, if you go back and look at Nebuchadnezzar's life at the, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was also one of arrogance and pride. But at the end of his life, it says that he was humbled. He was actually like an animal eating grass, like a, uh, an ox. And that at some point in time, he was humbled to the point that he recognized Daniel's one true God. Pride will go before destruction. Daniel was pointing out to Belshazzar, you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. You know that you have to humble yourself before God, and you're acting like you don't even care. So much so that, that Belshazzar's story tells us that he, did you catch this? He took the, the goblets that were used for worship in the temple, and he used them as party cups. It was like slapping God in the face, going, I don't care. And before we get too critical of Belshazzar, I want you to ask yourself, do you live the same way? Do you pick the parts of the Bible that you like and ignore the parts of the Bible that you don't like? I know God wants me to live this way, but you know what? I don't want to do that. I know God wants me to be generous, but I just have too many bills. I know God wants me to serve. I just don't have the time. Are we not 
often Belshazzar. I had somebody at my last church, he was struggling with um, anger. And he came to me very convicted of the way that he was talking to his wife and the way that he was talking to his children. He knew God was telling him he needed to change his behavior. And when I pushed him on that, he said, that's just who I am. Are we not Belshazzar? We know God is telling us to do something, but we choose not to do it. We are proud. We are defiant before God. Let me tell you something. No matter who you are or how important you think you are, you have to realize that you're not God. I'm not God. We're not God. And it's only by God's grace that we're even here. I mean, what did you do to get to wake up this morning? God is the one who put air in your lungs, breath in your lungs, to be able to give you the ability to even be here today. It is all by God's grace. He gave you your health. He gave you your strength. He gave you your intellect. Everything we have is from God. And we all have to come to the point that we realize that. Do you? The second thing that I would notice from Belshazzar's story in Daniel is false gods can never give an unshakable faith. They never can, and they never will. This hand from heaven writes on the plaster, and everybody in the room sobers up and are frightened. In an instant, they knew that their gods of gold and gods of bronze and gods of wood and gods of stone were not as powerful as that God. That whatever that is, is more powerful than what I'm worshiping. They knew in that moment that was more powerful, that that offered more security, whatever that is. And before we think that we don't worship other gods, I invite you this morning to rethink that. How many of us are guilty of working too much. How many of us have put way too much emphasis on the possessions that we have? How many of us really struggle with what people think about us more than what God thinks about us? How many of us put our children and our grandchildren before our relationship with God? How many of us put our marriages before our relationship with God? We're Belshazzar. We find ourselves just too busy. In ministry, I see this all the time, where we find ourselves too busy to to really grow in our relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, one day, when you get the knock on the door, like we talked about last week, you need God because you know in the moment that is more powerful than anything else that I have, anything else that I worship. We're not exempt from this temptation 
Even people, we can come to church every week. You can be here every single week. You can be involved in a Bible, uh, a, a Sunday school class. You, you can be involved in, in service opportunities. We can sit here and say, you know what? I love God. I, I love to read the Bible. I, I love to pray. I do every, every time these doors are open, I'm here. But let me ask you a question. When you walked in the door this morning, was it ever part of your thought was God opened me up? Show me something that's blocking my relationship with you. Allow God to change something inside of you. Was that even a part of your thoughts and your conversations? Have we made this more about religion rather than this relationship where the creator of of the heaven and earth actually speaks into our lives and shows us those things that are getting in our way, writing on the wall for us? Or are we Belshazzar? But in that moment, we know we need that God. We need the one true almighty God. You know, I stop and think about Belshazzar in the story. Why was he afraid? He didn't know what that meant. And the truth is, nobody in the room knew what that meant. Nobody knew what was the writing on the wall was about. He could have spun that and said, look at what I'm doing. You know, I'm having a hand come down from heaven and write on the wall for you. He could have spun that, could he not? Why did he go negative? I think it's because Belshazzar knew that is God. That is from God. He, he, he was so convicted that he knew that at that moment, all of these gods of bronze and all of these gods of gold and all of these gods of wood and all of these gods of stone, that is not God. And folks, he knew that he couldn't pretend anymore that the false gods did not give him the security that he needs. Let me tell you something. If you want an unshakable faith, you want a rock-solid faith, a faith that's going to get you through anything, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing short of a relationship with Jesus Christ that will give you that. Everything else is a false god. and will only offer you false security. And so that leads me to my last observation. And it was the writing on the wall. What was the inscription? Mene, mene. Your days are numbered. Belshazzar's days were numbered. And so were mine and yours. It's not the most pleasant thing to hear on a Sunday morning, but it is the truth. One of the problems is that Belshazzar never thought about how this was going to end. He never thought about where this was going. See, I, can, I love, I mean, I love grace, and I love mercy, and I love the fact that, that, that Jesus loves me. But I also know, Hebrews tells us, that we're only going to die once. And that's when judgment comes. That's all of our story. See, we like judgment when it's on bad people. But that's all of us. We all face that. And what I don't want us to do is to end up wanting like Belshazzar. How would you define the gospel? If you just stop and think about the gospel, how would you define it? Let me give you my definition. This is, this is my definition. 
So don't email me and tell me it's wrong because it's my definition of the gospel. Okay, so my definition of the gospel is two parts. Knowing that I'm worse than I ever thought I was. When I have a bad day, when I sin, when I do things wrong, and I think that's, I'm, a, I'm a terrible person knowing that I'm worse than I ever thought I was. And knowing that I'm loved more than I ever dreamed I was. That for me is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us have fallen short, yes. But God's answer is he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the incarnation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer. Put your trust in him. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said that there's only two kinds of people in the world. It's the people who turn to God and say, thy will be done, and the people that God turns to and says, thy will be done. In Belshazzar, we see a choice. Folks, I love our theology. I told you I didn't grow up in the United Methodist Church, and I love the theology of grace and mercy. Now, my dad's here today, and he's a deacon in his Baptist church, and he's going to like what I'm fixing to say. But please understand, the, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is not exclusive of the need for Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And it's never been. And as your pastor, I would never want to come across as that's not a part of what we believe. Every single person where Belshazzar, an awareness that God is a whole lot more powerful than me. We had a conversation with your leadership team the other night, and we were talking about just goals and missions of the church and things of that nature. And we were talking about professions of faith in the life of our church. And I made a statement, and I really, those of you who are here, you're going to be able to, to step on my toes later because I really, I made a statement to you. Was everybody in this room, I'm just kind of making the assumption that you've already professed your faith. That is terrible for me to make that assumption. And I don't want to assume that for you. And so I invite you this morning. If you have never professed in Jesus Christ, don't let the moment pass. Mene, mene. Our days are numbered. Why would we think that our action would be any different than Belshazzar or the result would be any different than Belshazzar? Or maybe this morning you have professed your faith, but you also look and stop and go, you know what? I have gotten way off track. That I professed my, mate 20, my faith 20 years ago, but I realized what I'm really doing is I've been playing a game. And I've made it a whole lot more about religion, and I haven't made it about a relationship. I invite you this morning to open yourself up to God. To allow him to work in you. Verse 30 tells us that Belshazzar, that exactly what Daniel had said what happened, happened. Belshazzar died, was killed, and Darius took over. Darius from Mead. Now, just as a side note, how did that happen? These huge walls 
Well, the Medes and the Persians got together, and we learned this not from biblical history. We learned this from secular history. The, the Medes and the Persians got together, and they said, hey, the Euphrates River is going through the city. Let's go upstream, build a dam. They went upstream, built a dam, and as the water flowed down, they marched into the city on dry land and took over the city, opened up the gates, and the Babylonian Empire was overthrown. And I'm just telling you that because it's also no matter what you think this morning that your fail-safe plan is, if it's not Jesus Christ... It's a false God. Mene, mene. We have a purpose in this church. We have a mission in this church. I'm going to tell you a story that you will hear over and over and over again. So don't, again, I don't apologize for it, but it, it drives me. Many, many years ago, before going into ministry, we were... Uh, living in a, in a subdivision. And there were two young boys that lived across the street from me. And those two young boys came over and played basketball with Latham almost every day. One Saturday, we were playing basketball. And they got ready to leave and started to walk out. And they turned around and said, can we play tomorrow? And I said, sure, we can play tomorrow, but we're going to have to play after church. And they paused and said, well, what's church? And so I tried to say to them in a way that five and six-year-old little boys would understand what church was. And I said something. I don't know what. Somehow I brought Jesus into it, thankfully. And I said something about we go to, to love Jesus or whatever. They said two words. Who's Jesus? I've lived across the street from these two young boys for several years. And I had never witnessed to them about Jesus Christ. There are young boys, young men, adult men and women living all around this church who do not know the story of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Our church, the mission has never been about us sitting inside this church. Our mission is the people who do not know Jesus Christ. Our days are numbered, their days are numbered, and they don't even know it. That's our mission, is to go and tell them. Ask yourself. I mean, seriously, this is your gut check time as a, as a person of faith. Ask yourself, when's the last time you invited anyone to come into this church to worship with you? That's what we're about. Because that God is so much more powerful than any God that we have. And so I invite you this morning, as we pray and as we sing and as we worship, if you haven't ever surrendered your heart to God, I invite you to do so. You can do that in your seat. You can come up to the altar. You can pray. If you sit there and go, you know what, I have, but I have been... I've been faking it for the last two years, last 10 years. Or maybe I've been living a vital relationship, but I stop and say today, you know what? This is in my way, and you want to let go to God. Mene, mene. I invite you this morning to surrender everything to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.